Unless you've been living under a rock, you know the music business has changed in the last few years. Rick Barker has devoted his life to mentoring and teaching artists, and he's guided some to the very top. I just had a great chat with him. He was so generous with his advice, I split it into two episodes. This is part one. If you're an artist, you might want to take notes. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. Rick Barker teaches artists to be artists. These days, that involves not only making great music, but also getting great at doing business. Rick has a truly incredible string of successes in the industry. Former manager of Taylor Swift, social media mentor to finalists on American Idol. In fact, he now manages the current Idol winner, Trent Harmon. He's been private consultant for Big Machine Record Label and Live Nation, among other companies. Uh, Scott Borchetta, who ironically was my former record promoter under Bruce Schindler for MTM Records, hired Rick as his first record promoter for Big Machine. Later, when Rick founded his own marketing and consulting firm, his first client was Sony Music Nashville. Not too bad. His marketing has been featured in Billboard magazine, among others. He is the author of his ebook, $150,000 Music Degree, the course Social Media for Music, and is the mastermind behind Music Industry Blueprint. As you can see on his website at rickbarker.com, he's also extremely generous with his free resources. We've worked with the same people from time to time and have become friends during these recent years. His personal story of living and growing as a human being really just commands a ton of respect on all levels. I have learned to trust him, And what's more, dear voices, you and I can take his advice to the bank. Our chat contains far too much information for one episode, so I split it into two for you. So here now is part one of our interview. Okay. Hi, Rick. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, my dear. Great to talk to you in person. Yeah. Yeah, you too, even though I'm not actually seeing your face. (laughs) Thank you so much for uh, joining us here at All Things Vocal. You've got an incredible life and career going, and I've got so much to ask you. I've written some questions, and I may be reading some of them, so you'll pardon that. But, you know, any rabbit trails that we go on will be fascinating for my people. Sure. (laughs) The story of you jump-starting the career of one of the biggest artists of our time is fascinating, and I'll just get right to her. You worked with Taylor Swift when she was just a girl with some really weird, wordy, atypical songs that fit a specific ideal audience in a brand new way. And you had no idea that she would be as big. You could not have had an idea that she would become as big as she did. What did she do to gain your attention, Rick? So I was hired by Scott Borchetta uh, to work at Big Machine Records. Before Big Machine split off by itself, it was part of... Toby Keith and Scott Borchetta both had record companies. Show Dog belonged to Toby and Big Machine belonged to Scott. When they decided to part ways, Scott let Toby keep the promotion staff. So he offered me a job, flew me out to Nashville. We got together. And after I had agreed to work with him, I went out that day. I met Daniel Peck. He told me a little bit about Jack Ingram. 
he gave me this CD and he said, I want you to listen to this on your way to the airport. <laughs> so as I'm driving to the airport, I put in this CD. It had five songs on it of Taylor. And she was probably 15 when these demos were recorded. And the way that she craft lyrics had at the time this 40-year-old going, okay, how am I relating to all these songs that this teenager is singing? She did it in such a way that it made me go back to the places where I was. You know, when she sang the song Tim McGraw, the song wasn't really about Tim McGraw. It was the power of radio. When you hear that song, it takes you back to that place. And I called Scott back, accepted the job on the way to the airport. I said, this girl's fantastic. I said, I'm excited as heck to be able to get to work with her. So I worked with her first on the label side. It wasn't until six months later that I ended up transferring over and taking on day-to-day responsibilities as her manager. Gotcha. But the voice of her, if we can say that, the voice of her lyrics are what caught you first. even before you Absolutely. It was the lyrics because her vocals at that time, she was still developing her vocals, you know, as you teach and other folks teach. Most 15 to 16-year-old females aren't fully developed in their voice. But what she did is she wrote these songs that the audience sang louder than she did at concerts. It wasn't until, you know, she's on a national television show where you don't have an audience and you can't hide where people are like, wow, she's not a crazy vocalist like Miranda Lambert or Carrie Underwood. And she didn't need to be. That's the thing. She did not need to be as loud as them because they were singing these songs, screaming at the top of their lungs, and she was telling the stories of everyone else's lives. Well, Rick, I swear, that cuts to right exactly what I teach, which is the most important thing about any vocal is if your voice knows what the heck it's doing. And it needs to be delivering a message to a specific heart. And then if it does that, then you you get the vocal technique, but you get the vocal technique in the service of delivering the message. Otherwise, you might win the voice or you might win, you know, American Idol, but you're you're not going to have a career like Taylor Swift. Well, and the thing too, Judy, it's like at that age, as you watch the progression of female vocalists, and this is my opinion and my opinion only, is there's, they all start out, they realize they can sing. So at 10, 11, 12, it's like a screaming contest. The little girl that can scream the loudest and get the most old people to clap wins every contest. And then once you become a teenager, you're like, "Eh, I don't quite know if I can go there. There's very few people that I've met like a Daniel Bradbury who had a very developed voice at 16 years old, like a Carrie Underwood, a Kelly Clarkson. You know, those are world-class vocalists. That doesn't happen for everyone, but some of the best uh, people who influenced me growing up, the Bob Dylans, the Tom Petty's, Bruce Springsteen's, they were great storytellers. Now, when you can take a great story and put Adele behind it, or a great story and put Sam Smith behind it, that's very rare, and that isn't the norm, and everyone doesn't need to aspire to go after those notes, because the risk versus reward Come on, you know, you go after it and you're like, uh, everybody is like you're at a NASCAR race just waiting for the wreck to happen. Uh, <laughs> and then if you get through it, you're like, woo, they made it, you know, <laughs> and everyone claps. But that's why I insist with the artists that I work with, one of the first questions I ask them is, do you work with a vocal coach? 
Yeah. And you would be surprised. Well, you wouldn't, but <laughs> I did a survey recently and I asked, there were over 200 people who had come to this survey and I asked them if they'd ever had a manager before, you know, uh, how much money did they make with their music? How many shows they were performing? And when I asked them, do you currently work with the vocal coach? 63% said no. Wow. But they all felt they were ready. But 80% felt they were ready for a record deal or a publishing deal, even though 60% don't even take care of that one instrument. I don't care how good your lyrics are if no one can hear them. Yeah, exactly. And then if you do, like Adele, you know, hit trip the light fantastic, then you are, you know, your voice really is your major asset, your main asset, and it can be trashed and there's nothing you can do about it unless you know, you know, how to take care of it. So that's, uh, that's another, P people make the mistake, I think, of thinking technique is everything and they become great technicians and they might, might, you know, become great background vocalists or be on the road with somebody, but they're not going to become the artist. Uh, so the, the, it's like, I feel like the, the, the message is the first thing, but then protect the instrument that's delivering the message. Absolutely. Absolutely. You wouldn't just throw your guitar around after you were done yeah. with it. You wouldn't treat your, your, your drums like crap. Don't treat your voice like crap either. You know, and what a lot of folks don't understand is you do sometimes more damage in just conversation or if you're in a loud club trying to speak over the music, you know, it's, it's one of those things that that's the difference between someone who treats it like a business and someone who's just kind of happy to be here. And it's okay. You know, if you want to be a hobbyist, but if, if you're wanting to go to that next level and have people start basing their livelihoods on whether you can show up and perform or not, there's a mind shift that has to take place. And there's a certain level of responsibility. And if you don't want that responsibility, that's okay too. But don't get discouraged when the people you hope will come knocking on your door. Don't. Right. Or that you find yourself having to cancel gigs. Yeah. I, yep. One of the worst things I could wish on a person who's not uh, thinking of the, the health of their voice seriously, one of the worst things I could wish on them is a hit career or a hit song, you know, uh, then they're going to really be screwed. And it, it's so sad to see, you know, these incredible artists have to cancel shows. But it's, it's a quality problem, but it doesn't have to be a problem. And, Correct. So, and that goes also to my absolute belief that you have to do two things right if you're going to do this for a career. You have to do art really well, your, your art, your songwriting, your vocal, your instrumental stuff that if you play, and you have to do business right. And, of course, that's where you come in. Um, well, and, and, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, there's very few artists who are great singers, great songwriters, and great vocalists. They're very rare that you get all three. So what you want to do is if, let's say that you're a great songwriter, go find yourself an awesome vocalist who has a presence on social media. If you're a great vocalist who's in need of songs, go out and start doing your research on these songwriters. Get your social media and tell them that you can help them get their songs heard. That is all part of the business. One of the bigger problems that I started realizing, and it became very apparent over the last few months, was that I was teaching these people how to get their music out to the world, and then the majority of them hadn't registered their music properly, oh. so they weren't getting paid. They just thought because they sang a song 
and gave it to CD Baby, and CD Baby got it up on iTunes and Spotify that they were going to get paid. Well, they will always get paid as the master owner because that's what they did through CD Baby. But there's another part called the publishing that if they were the writers on those tracks, if you don't tell them who the person is that owns the music, the copyright, they don't know who to send the money to. As of last count, there was $1.6 billion in unpaid royalties that were sitting there that no one knew where to put them. Wow. That is crazy. 1.6 billion. So the business is, is that, you know, unfortunately a lot of people think, and we're one of the few, and I'm going to use the analogy with sports, but if getting a record deal is the major leagues, we're the only major league program that doesn't have a development league. We will put a million dollar investment in the hands of somebody who's unqualified because they won a TV show or we've seen them at a contest and they were great. And when it doesn't work, we fire them. The business means that at some point there needs to be a monetary transaction. So you need to get people to consume your product. Today, monetary can come in various ways. It can come from a stream. It can come from a video view. It can come from a download. It can come from the sale of a record or a ticket or merchandise, but there's business that's involved. So many people are unwilling to make an investment in their business, but they want everybody else to invest in their business. If you're going to treat it like a business, first you need to get yourself registered as a business. Then you need to make sure that you get your music registered. Then you need to go find yourself a vocal coach and make sure you're working with them. If you want to get better at your instrument, you hire an instructor. You, you know, you go buy programs to teach you how to use the tools that are in your business. You know, it's like there's so many free videos out on YouTube to teach you how to do a proper vocal warm up, but nobody uses them. They complain, I don't have any money. It's called free. And then when you can't afford something, you go find someone because the one thing that's different is you can use a free video on YouTube, but you can't get any critique or feedback from that YouTube video. That's why you will hire someone like Judy. What a lot of artists don't do that surprises me, Judy, is that they, they, they'll go out and fundraise all this money or crowd you know, source all this money for a record, but they won't put anything aside to say, hey, why don't I have my vocal instructor come into the studio with me since they know how to push me. They know what my strengths are. Instead, they'll go into a studio with an engineer who they've never met that might be a drummer and have him do all their vocals for them. I'm like, take a couple hundred bucks and offer it to your vocal coach to come in on vocal day. Yeah, even if it's just for a song. Absolutely, especially the song because everyone's releasing that single, at least on the single. Right, right. And to go back on the, to the, uh, uh, the kinds of business things people don't know, publishing, is, it's like uh, they don't know anything about publishing. I can't tell you how many people have asked to cut one of my songs or something like that, and they'll cut it, and I have to hunt them down to ask for uh, the mechanicals, the, to, to do a mechanical uh, licensing thing on it. And that's actually, it's not legal to release a, a song of someone else's or somebody that you co-wrote with unless you process a mechanical licensing fee. It's just amazing the lack of, uh, and, and so what happens, of course, they may make a few dollars on their songs, but what major writer is going to give them 
a song if they are not in the habit of paying mechanical royalties. You know, you, you establish this bad reputation as an indie artist. Well, and I think a lot of times, too, if you're going to go, you know, the rule is first right. So, you know, if Judy wrote this song and she sang it and she wanted to keep it for her record, she could put it on her record. Well, now that it's out in the public, anyone else can come and re-record that song, but they still must get a mechanical license. No one can say, no, you can't re-record that song. That's not the rule, but you can't take that song. Let's say that I recorded Judy's song and I went to uh, somebody from film and television came along and said, hey, we would love to use your version. So I own the master of that song. I can't just give it to them and expect they're going to then need to go get the mechanic, the clearance license, the mechanical from Judy or one of the or one of the publishers or one of the songwriters. So a lot of people are just re-recording songs without taking care of themselves. And that's where you can go to you know, whoever your distributor is, if you're using CD Baby or TuneCore or DistroKid, they're starting to get, give those mechanical licenses. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, you know, it's like everybody just thinks everything's supposed to be free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just one of the ways you can get yourself in trouble. You might be, you know, like make a few dollars here and there at a show or, or, or selling your CD, but you're not going to make major inroads in the industry. And you're also going to come up against a rock in a hard place when the, the film people do want your song, but you don't have any idea, you know, about the publisher or uh, you don't have the How right to get it cleared. Of that. <laughs> yeah. So it's just these kinds of things that people need to be, if, if they're doing this for a career, if they're doing it other than a hobby, like you say, they need training. Not, not just in their artistic, the artistic side, but the business side. And the thing about the business side, it's, it's a headache. You know, before when I was writing for Warner Chapel and different people, they took care of all this paperwork stuff, right? And I was on a label and they took care of all the paperwork stuff and the, and the A&R stuff and all that. Well, the bottleneck has been broken uh, now that digital has taken over and all that. But it's good in some ways because we can reach our ideal audiences but it's bad in some ways because we have to be our own label and uh, you know, publisher. At least we have to know what we're doing because I feel like if you're going to get a major deal, they want you to have some major stuff in place already. So- well, they do. They do. The days of them starting the fire are over. The days of them starting the spark, it's over. They're looking for something that's already going that they can pour gasoline on. Because now it's, it's much easier to tell if someone is actually what they are. In the past, somebody would, you know, somebody would walk in and you know, they, they sing really well and you would get all excited and you had time to let them develop and let them grow and things like that. But that's when the record companies were selling CDs where they were splitting dollars instead of now where they're streaming and they're splitting pennies. They don't have the funds to do it. And quite honestly, they shouldn't. If the, everything that you needed a label for has been diminished, you needed them for distribution. We can now distribute our own songs. We needed them for expensive recordings. Now you can record on your computer, you know, go look at the hot 100 songs on the billboard chart and they're mostly hip hop and pop. 
It's not a lot of instruments being played on those records. A lot of that stuff's being done on the computer. You needed the ability to get your music to the fans. Well, now you've got social media. You've got Spotify. You've got Apple. That's your radio. That's what people utilize for their radios now. So, you know, if a record company is going to come in and start putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into something, they want to make sure that they're in a position to get it back. So that's where the 360 deals come into play. And the 360 deals, I think, are important for the industry, especially if you want someone else putting up the money. I just taught a class on this at Belmont, talking about, you know, how much it costs to break an artist, who gets paid first, and why the record companies came in and said, we need to participate in a little bit of this. Because in the old model, the record companies did not make penny one until the first record was sold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so now it was the publishers and the songwriters made the first money as the song went up the chart as the song got higher up the chart now the artists could start making money because they could tour on it so then the booking agent started making money and then the merch company started making money and the record company who's funded the whole operation sitting back going wait what about me when am I going to get paid so that's why and we won't spend a lot of time on that but that's why it's important because as an artist you know you've got people taking money off the top, you should want to have an audience in place before you start getting the massive exposure so that you can take advantage of it. Because what we've learned from all these artists that are on these television shows being watched by 10 million people a week, once they leave, nobody cares anymore. Because it's a television show. It's not a singing contest. It's a vote getting contest after you make it to live television. And by the time the show's over, they're already casting for the next season. So if everybody thinks that massive exposure is what they need, I can show you about 30 different real life situations where that wasn't the case. That's exactly what uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you, Rick, because you and I both have worked with people that have gotten pretty far up in those contests. And the saddest thing I think I see, because those contests are really difficult and they're not fair and they're all this, it is about the TV show and you have to understand that going out there. But if you use it, if you prepare for it, then you can actually use it in an ongoing way, right? Correct. Correct. I manage the last American Idol winner on Fox, whose name is Trent Harmon. And when Trent came on the show, I show up at Top 24. I was a social media mentor for the last two years when Big Machine was the record company and Scott Borchetta was the mentor. He brought me in to teach these kids how to take this television commercial and use it to start building an audience that they could carry with them. And Fremantle, the production company, was awesome about wanting to give these kids the tools to be able to take with them. Unfortunately, only a few actually use the tools. The rest were just happy to be there. But if you get that type of exposure, make sure if you're going to go audition for any of these shows, before you get there, make sure you have a website set up, you have some other music of your own. If you've recorded music, make sure you get it up on iTunes and Spotify where it can be sold during the time that you're on the show. I know Gabby Barrett, who was just on this last episode of, uh, of the last season, excuse me, of American Idol, her first three records started selling like crazy, but she had it and she was in a position to do that. Make sure that your social set up and just know the best thing that could happen for any of you is to finish third because then you're not locked into any of those contracts. You don't get told who your manager is. You don't get told who your record company is and you get the same amount of TV time except for one song. 
right. That's my advice. Yeah. Finish third. Don't don't win. Yeah, Preston James is a young. Uh, we both know very well. Yep. Yes, and uh, he's used used it definitely to get a bunch of gigs, but uh, he mostly was doing covers, and so now he's involved in uh, a good year worth of writing. He's still touring right now. I think it's so important to get these people writing. Yeah, get the website in place and all that. His mother is, she She knows she was the first publicist that we had when I was with Taylor, Kathy Mm -hmm. and I know each other very well. And, and the thing I try to tell Preston too, is that, listen, don't be in a hurry. You know, one of the most underrated words in this business, it's called patience. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's, it's like somebody's like, well, man, I've been doing this for three years. Well, yeah, think about it though. If you go to college, you wait four years, then you may have to go get an internship or grad school. It's like, quit trying to rush the process. <laughs> and any of you that say, well, I need a record label to be successful, you're the wrong person for a record deal. Right. You really are because you don't. You don't understand the business. But be patient. And it's okay if you're not a writer, but at least journal so that if you get the opportunity to get in the room with a good songwriter, they can take your thoughts. They know the craft. They know the formula. You know, they know the structure. They know what's working. But bring your own ideas. But I think everybody should write. I love what Bruno Mars says. He says an artist isn't an artist until they can write, play, and record all their own stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, damn, Bruno. You know. you know, I mean, Matt Carney is a guy that I work with. I don't know if you know who he is. He, I do. But he, uh, he used to be just a rapper, and he learned to sing. But he couldn't play piano very much. He didn't know what he was doing. But what he did was he sat down, and he played. He just put his fingers together on the piano and played some things that felt like his heart. And then he asked himself, what's that saying? And then, you know, I'm hearing it in every Kroger I go to, you know, in the mall and everything else. And it just blows right. my mind. Yeah, just like believe in, believe in what you're doing, get in touch with your heart. Absolutely. And, and don't be in a hurry. And don't yeah. be in a hurry. Yeah. Oh, I think that's such great advice, Rick. And coming from you, it's real important. Yeah. You can find Rick, his free resources, and his courses at www.rickbarker.com. It would do you good to follow him on social media as well. And trust me, he's everywhere. You can always find me at www.judyrodman.com. I do hope you've enjoyed this interview. Look for part two to be published on the next episode of All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers.